We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. No Jack Manuel, but we have regular guests, Joe McCarr. And Joe, your streak is over. The Nets got a win tonight against the Los Angeles Clippers, 112-108. No Kevin Durant, but James Harden, Kyrie Irving got it done. How are we feeling, Joe? We are feeling good. We finished the Western Conference road trip 5-0, which is the first time in franchise history. Just a very inspired play as a team. It got a little close towards the end, but we finished it off. Yeah, I mean, it was a great win, obviously. Probably one of the best wins of the season, considering Kevin Durant didn't play Los Angeles fully healthy in this game. But before we jump into that, as always, you can find the buzz on all streaming platforms, including otgbasketball.com, natsrepublic.com, and Blue Wire Pods. But, Joe, where do you want to start with this one? I guess let's start with that uh, the last sequence of plays. We had DeAndre Jordan get the tip-in for the game, game-winning go-ahead bucket. And then the other end of the floor, we had... James Harden draw an offensive foul on Kawhi Leonard that pretty much sealed it up because he had his free throws afterwards. Yeah, if you were to tell me before this game that DeAndre would have the game-winning field goal and then James Harden would play defense to secure it, I mean, Harden is a defender who doesn't really get enough credit. I want to say he's a great defender, but he's certainly an above-average defender. Yep. Um, I wouldn't believe you, to be honest, if you told me those two things would sequence in a back-to-back event. So... Just an overall great gutty win for the Nets. Yeah, I mean, we saw in the last Clippers game, James Harden had that big ISO defensive possession on Kawhi Leonard, but I'm not going to lie, the DeAndre Jordan part was was kind of crazy. My wife was actually in the room, just happened to be walking by, and she's like, wow, that was lucky. I was like, you know what, who cares? <laughs> he got the tip in, it went in, it got the win. And even the fact that DeAndre is closing the game is rare, and DeAndre probably isn't out there if Jeff Green doesn't get injured on that dirty play from Patrick Beverly. Exactly. You know, I think... It's kind of like fate in a way, right? DeAndre (laughs) is written off by all Nets fans, the entire fan base. Like, even at times, maybe even the coaching staff. Like, there's times where he'll just get benched the entire fourth quarter. But now, because of the very short rotation, I think 
once Jeff Green left, what were they running? Like six players? Yeah. If they don't include DLC also in out in this game, too. Exactly. So just a very short leash for these guys who were playing heavy minutes. So they were kind of forced to play DeAndre at the five. And, you know, he really, really like made it worth it. And overall as a whole, like, yes, the tipping was huge. I thought his overall movement and defense was just a lot better today. Moving his feet, getting timely blocks. Even when he's not blocking shots, he was just contesting shots really well tonight. Yeah, I think he's definitely helped his value on this road trip, you know, defensively showing a little bit more effort. You know, the whole team has been better since that Detroit game, him included. But like you said, Joe, I think this is one of DeAndre's better games, like high effort on some of those rebounds. Yeah, he misjumped a couple of them, but at least he was able to kind of work on some of those isos against Kawhi. Kawhi caught him a couple of times, but you like the effort, you like the energy. And I think that's really all we look for in DeAndre. You know what I mean? If he's playing hard, that's fine. He's not a he's not the same player he once was, but as long as he's showing effort and moving that body and showing some effort mobility wise, I'm pretty happy with his play because sometimes he's just going to get lucky. He's going to play off of Kyrie. He's going to play off of James Harden. And he had his handful of dunks in this game. Definitely. And that's the thing about the net center position. We don't need a guy who's going to get us 20 points. That's the last thing we need. We just need yeah. a guy who's going to stand around the rim, set good picks, block shots, get rebounds. So yeah. if DeAndre could do that, even if, let's say, we get a center on the buyout market or through trade before the deadline, even if we have another center come in, if DeAndre could do that for a meaningful 15 to 20 minutes a game even, then he's definitely of use to this team. Yeah, maybe even it's Nick Claxton, who was healthy tonight, active, didn't obviously play. You know, it's going to be probably a little bit of time before we see him back in the court unless the Nets kind of get some type of blowout win. But, you know, like I said, pretty happy with the way DeAndre's playing. But let's talk James Harden. Thought this was just kind of like an MVP level game from Harden. 37 points, 11 rebounds, 7 assists, 13 to 25 from the field, 4 and 9 from 3, 7 of 11 from the free throw line. Just had his fingerprints all over this game. Yeah, for sure. The one part that kind of nervous, maybe nervous at the end, the 7-11 from the free throw line, like yeah. you said, especially with the timing of his misses. Um, I was getting really nervous at the end there. But hey, they closed it out. James Harden, especially in that first quarter, was just dominating. Had, yep. Just like every game, he has his fingerprints all over the game, whether it's his scoring, which he could turn on or off at any moment. We notice that when Duran is out, he really says, okay, like I'm going to sit up in my chair I'm going to put the key in the ignition and I'm going to get yep. to work and start driving. Like, And when Durant's playing and in the lineup and the big three is there, he says, okay, like I don't mind getting 11, 12, 13 assists this game. And yep. today he seemed to have a, like a nice balance knowing, okay, now's a good time to score. I have Zubox on me. I have Marcus Morris on me. Um, and now's a good time to pass. I have Bruce Brown cutting to the rim. And guys like Bruce Brown, Joe Harris, Shamit, these are all beneficiaries of just James Harden's mastermind passing ability. Yeah, I know. And like the Nets get called out a lot for their switching and giving up easy switch. I felt like the Clippers gave James Harden a lot of easy switches. Like you mentioned, you know, got on Zubak, got on Batum, got on Morris, like pretty much anybody other than Kawhi Leonard. He cooked tonight and he was definitely in the lane. It felt like more than, you know, early on in his Nets debut where so like over this stretch on this winning on this road trip on this winning streak he's been a little bit more in the paint looking for his shot and that's led to able to find that balance like you mentioned Joe I really really like the way he's playing the feel he has for his teammates and he's just continuing to kind of impress me like I knew he was obviously an MVP level player but you figure like 
his game would have to tone down to an extent to fit in. But in a way, it's almost toned up where he's the best version of himself because he's just using all aspects of his game. And you mentioned the defense on Kawhi. I think an underrated aspect of his game is his defensive versatility. Like, he started the game defending Serge Ibaka, and he did a fine job. Like, how many guards can do that? Exactly. It's just, it's a narrative thing and it's an effort yeah. thing with James Harden. You know, yep. I don't know. Someone saw a sequence of him four years ago and said, oh, look at this. James Harden doesn't play defense. But if you watch the games, he really does play defense. He's coming up in passing lanes. Um, he's guarding in the post. He's probably a top three post defender on this team, as weird yeah. as that is. A 6'5 guard. He leads our team in rebounding at over eight a game. He leads the league in assists at over 11 a game. In fact, I saw this tweet today, and it's true. If James Harden was averaging, let's say, 27 points per game instead of 24, he would be in the MVP discussion for sure. And games like tonight help that number. You know what I mean? He's sure. definitely the winning has, definitely helps his case. Yeah, I think the more dominant the Nets are, the better chance somebody has at winning MVP on this team. Obviously, early on, we thought it'd probably be Kevin Durant, but given he's looks like he's going to end up missing time, you know, some of that's not his fault with the whole COVID thing, but. See what happens with him. Let's talk Kyrie Irving, though, because, you know, not probably his best game of the season, but still a really, really good game where he hit big shots against great defenders. I think the big difference for Kyrie, why the numbers weren't even higher, was this three ball was just a little bit off tonight, but still 28 points, 12 of 26 on the field, two of 11 from three, did have eight assists, and I would say at least four of them were highlight dimes. Yeah, the two of 11 from three is a little bit like, eh. But besides that, the stat line is very good. And if you were watching the game, you see he's just clearly impacting the game and Pretty much every way imaginable. Even his defense. I know people love to say like, oh, Kyrie is not a good defender. If you watch him move with some of the quicker guards, he's definitely capable of holding his own. I want to say yeah. he's a great defender, just like Harden. But I think you need to give him a little more credit than what he gets. So with that being said, Kyrie just, I call him the Basquiat of basketball. Because he's just, <laughs> it's, it's art. art. Like it's watching him is art. The way he scores his baskets, the way he's able to take advantage. Sometimes it looks like, He's going to wind up out of bounds or he's trapped and somehow we'll get this fancy Euro step to get a good look at the basket. And today you mentioned this, but the part that really impressed me was his playmaking. And again, just another aspect that doesn't really get enough attention. First career, Kyrie's about five and a half, maybe at most six assists per game. But he kind of just has this natural feel, even if the numbers aren't showing under the assist category, he has this natural feel of, okay, now is my time to get cooking, looking around, seeing who's open. And now is the time to try to find a cutter or a streaker at the three-point line or run a pick and roll with a big man. Yeah, his reaction is really good. Like as a secondary playmaker where he doesn't have to facilitate the offense and he can just kind of make the plays off his drives. Like he's just exciting to watch. Like you said, two of 11 from three. Shot was a little off. I felt like a couple of them were forced, but you're never going to give an elite scorer, you know, issues about this. And I think defensively, the Clippers were able to attack him a little bit more in that first quarter. And, and then in the second and the rest of the game, I thought. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Nets did a good job of helping him because I think a lot of the time it's not like effort-wise that he's not defending. It's more so like, hey, Kawhi Leonard 6'7", has, what, 75 pounds on him and is just going to muscle him down there. There's not really much he can do. When he's in a matchup where that actually fits his body type, like you said, I think he is capable. And the same thing with Harden. I think Harden's a little bit more capable just because he's a bigger body. But I would say Kyrie probably shows more effort. The only other thing, too, with Kyrie is he's a little bit more sporadic in terms of like, hey, I'm going to go randomly double team this guy. Tonight, we didn't see that. Everyone kind of played within the system. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. And the defense in general, I thought was really good. 108 to a Clippers team that's one of the best in the league. You really can't complain about that. Definitely. And we saw it more so in the third quarter. On the fourth, you that's just the nature of the NBA. The stars yeah. are going to start cooking. But in the third quarter, essentially, they really that's why they started establishing that lead for Brooklyn. It's even when they were in the game, Brooklyn just tried to take out Kawhi, try to take out Paul George, put the ball in the hands of other players, whether it's Terrence Mann, Lou Williams, Nick Batum, um, Patrick Beverly, even Zubox, who can't really create his own shot. But you just want to get the ball out of the hands of them. That way, okay, if any of those other guys are taking the shot, we like our odds, even if they're capable of knocking it down from distance. Yeah, you saw a couple double teams, a little bit more pressure, eight turnovers between Kawhi and Paul George, six coming from Paul George. So I think you're right, Joe, just putting a little bit more attention on those guys, just forcing the other guys to beat you. And nobody else really stepped up. Zubak had a couple buckets, but they mostly just came in the paint on easy layups, easy dunks, kind of like DeAndre got some of his. So I, I like the game plan from the Nets, make life difficult for the stars. And I mean, Kawhi got a couple buckets late. A lot of that was because of Jeff Green being out of the game. But I guess if we're going to talk defense, we got to talk Bruce Brown. I thought this was one of the best Bruce Brown games of the season. I really liked what I saw from him. 13 points, four steals, uh, two assists, eight rebounds. It just felt like he was all over the place, and he gave the Nets that little extra edge. That's what Bruce does on a night-to-night basis. Some days it's a little more evident than others, but especially today you saw with the amount of shots and creative shot-making that both Kyrie and James Harden were making tonight, you saw, okay, somebody's going to be open, and somebody's going to be either cutting to the rim or, as I mentioned earlier, trailing at the three-point line when these stars are attracting so much gravitation. So today, Bruce Brown happened to be the beneficiary. He got a lot of good looks. He had this nice little transition layup. Yeah. Uh, Four steals that you mentioned, that was the real surprise to me. Uh, Just knows, has a natural instinct on defense. Really just a built guy, 6'4". And this is a guard who can get you rebounds. Like if, I feel like we say this every podcast, but if Bruce Brown was like four or five inches taller, this man would be dominating in the paint on a nightly basis. So he's just a guy who everyone loves to be around. Everyone understands, okay, this is his role, and we're not going to force him to do too much. And if you're Brooklyn, if you're any championship contending team, that's you need guys like that on your roster. 
Yeah, I agree, Joe. I mean, I love the deflection suit. Just like there's just so much energy all over the place in different aspects of the game. And that fast break layup you mentioned, it's like it was like a finger roll, but he like brought it all the way down and then brought it back up. I was like, whoa, that's an interesting way to finish that. It's tough to defend. So you, you like you said, when you have the stars cooking, he's just perfect in his role. Like he understands who he's supposed to be for this team. And like there's a couple times he could have shot a three. He didn't. And I don't mind that because like if you don't feel confident in the shot, don't shoot it. And it, the Nets don't really need him to shoot it, given they have so much spacing in other areas and other guys are stepping up. But Joe, who do you want to talk about next? Next, let's see. Let's talk about let's talk about Landry Shamit. Return to L.A., you know. Three points, one to seven from the field, one to seven from three. Personally, I felt like he was a little in his head. You know what I mean? Facing his former team. But there were a couple good defensive possessions in there against uh, Lou Will. Even a couple switches where I thought he held his own. Not his best game offensively, but defensively, I thought there was a little promise. Definitely. And, you know, the thing with shooters, especially everyone not named Joe Harris, (laughs) is pretty much going to struggle from time to time. Even Joe himself. You know, I'm sorry, Jack, but... Joe Harris will have a bad game once in a while. But with Shamit, we kind of see them a little more frequently than the average shooter. Uh, that being said, it's just a little sporadic. When he's hot, he's feeling himself, he'll go four or five from three. When he's not, you'll have a game like tonight. But like you mentioned, a thing he could really hang his hat on is the fact that he did play good defense today. And just like kind of how we saw in the Phoenix game when he was making his shots, um, even if you're playing solid defense, like there's a spot for you on the floor. If you yep. keep taking these good looks, um, they're going to start falling eventually. It's not like Shamit shot one of seven, all of them were contested threes, and the coach is going to bench him. You know, these are good open looks that yep. I, will, I will encourage him to take every single time if he has space. Like, don't get in your own head. Shoot with confidence. Make sure the arc is there, and Shamit's going to be a key contributor, just a little less this game than usual. Yeah, I think the arc wasn't really there tonight. You know, the shots felt a little bit rushed. I would say there was only one three, which I didn't like. The Nets, I think, were up 15 in the fourth quarter. He pulled up from three on a transition bucket, and obviously that could have been an 18-point lead. But part of me is just like, you know, cool it off, burn some more clock, give the ball to James Harden, Kyrie, let them kind of do their thing and see what happens there. But like you said, it's an open shot. The only thing that really kind of irked me with this game where he was a little flustered in the fourth quarter with those two turnovers, one was partially James Harden's fault. The other one was on him where he stepped, uh, he didn't step out of bounds, he traveled. So just like clean those things up, but he's also not used to some of those minutes. Let's talk Joe Harris. felt like Joe Harris, not very uh, much in that first half. We didn't necessarily feel him out there, but in that second half, I thought he kind of stepped up, had a better feel out there. Four of 11 from the field, three of eight from three, 13 points, and just some... You know, fist pumps. Definitely. I mean, like we saw in the Wear Brooklyn at, the Joey fist bump is definitely in action still. Um, He did struggle early in this game, but like I said, it's kind of like a rhythm thing with shooters. We actually have to give them credit because most more times than not, they walk into random stadiums where the situation is just completely different. The feel of the rims is a little different. And most of the time, they're just knocking down shots, especially Joe Harris. Um, once in a while, they're going to struggle. That's a little normal. Even on like an off night, I think that's just the standard we hold Joe Harris to. Yeah. Three of eight from three, that's still like 37.5%. That's way above the league average. So, And besides that, just even when he's not making his shots, Joe Harris is just like a fearless player. So he's still driving to the rim, even if he's getting rejected. Um, just He's going to be a timely player. And tonight, like I said, a little less so. But, hey, he's a player who knows how to get into his spots. And if he just keeps shooting them, and even his misses, like, he'll look confident. They're going to start falling, too. It's not a regular thing for Joe Harris. 
I'm not too concerned about the misses. Just a little out of rhythm. Uh, some credit to the Clippers, though. I felt like they did a good job of kind of rushing his shot at times. And, I mean, Joe, I thought, did a really good job in this game setting screens. He set some really nice screens on Pat Bev. Obviously, he flopped a little bit on some of those. I thought defensively he does his best to hone his own on a regular basis. So, solid game from Joe. Nothing too crazy. Uh, another guy we can talk about, TLC, only played five minutes tonight, two rebounds, dealt with a hip injury, um, obviously left the game. I feel like this is actually a game where TLC could see decent minutes given his forward size where he can match up and switch onto a lot of guys and obviously has some hot games on this road trip. Thoughts on TLC and the injury? Any concern there or just probably something minor? Um, I'm not sure, but I'm kind of hoping it's something minor, especially seeing what Jeff Green went through. Yep. And I'd love to see both Claxton and Robertson in the rotation, but at the same time, how long is it going to take them to start actually like implementing them into Steve Nash's system yep. and kind of getting them up to game speed? Like Claxton, we know, hasn't played in an NBA game since it's definitely been over a year, maybe 12, 13 months now. And Andre Robertson played in the bubble, but of course, new system. And before that, he went through a devastating injury where he played for the first time in like what was it, two and a half years? Yeah. So Robertson needs to get some reps in him too. So while I like both of those guys, I'm kind of hoping TLC's injury is minor. Yeah, and via Matt Brooks, our guy who's uh, doing the Zoom conference with Steve Nash, uh, it looks like they're still being monitored and there's no diagnosis yet. So we don't know what's going to happen with, yeah, with TLC and Jeff Green. So no update on either of those guys. Obviously, the Jeff Green injury looked a little bit more serious. You know, it looked like something that kept him down for a couple minutes on the floor. Obviously, an elbow to your ribs slash armpit, armpit slash like shoulder area is kind of a weak spot. Hopefully, everything's good with there because Jeff Green is such a crucial piece of this team. And then like TLC is not as big a part, but he'd be a guy that could kind of fit in and play maybe some more forward minutes if Jeff Green were to be out. So missing two of those guys while you're already missing Kevin Durant, who is kind of out indefinitely with that hamstring strain. We'll kind of see what happens there. I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see KD to the second part of the season. That's the only good thing for the Nets right now. They have what is it, four or five games until they get that all-star break. But these injuries are definitely a little concerning, but they probably couldn't have come at a better time. Yeah, they are a little concerning. But at the same time, I think that really just shows how much credit you have to give this Nets team. Like, yep. yes, I understand every team is kind of dealing with their own situations where, okay, especially the Raptors, they're playing in Tampa, for crying out loud, like yep. completely far away from their home in Toronto. But everybody, for the most part, is dealing with this we see Kevin Durant, I don't remember the last time he played 10 straight games. It probably was two months ago. I don't know. I don't think he has. Yeah, it's 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 such a tease. You know, you wait like yeah. a year and a half for him to come back. And now he's just missing time with the hamstring injury. And, of course, the COVID protocols uh, missed two weeks earlier. And besides that, it's just, you know, it's a little tough to get a rhythm. Like, we see they're clicking right now. But once Durant comes back, it's like, okay. What is that going to be? Game seven, where all three of them play together? I think it'll be game eight. Yeah, five and game two weeks. They yeah. all three play. And the like you said, the only down, yeah, <laughs> like over a month ago. The only good thing is that Kevin Durant is probably one of the easiest players in the NBA to incorporate into a team because he can literally do everything out there on the court. But like you said, you want to get the reps in, you want to get the rotation straight, you want guys to be healthy. But without those guys, everyone still stepped up. And you know, I thought. 
the overall just like energy hustle and toughness on this road trip has been there. The defense has taken major strides forward. And I think they're like really starting to develop as a team. Like we're seeing it become a Brooklyn Nets team, not just like this talented bunch of guys that could magically put together 130 points and beat any team every night. Like this has some team qualities to it. And I think a lot of that was established on the road trip. And like you said earlier, Joe, five and all on this road trip, first time in team history. And I think I said this to Jack a few shows ago, the Nets are going to be setting a lot of records this year with this team definitely and i think it's just part of it is a sense of camaraderie where they're just yep. kind of like getting to know each other not only from like on the court where each player likes to be on the floor but kind of on a personal level like you even yep. see during the games james harden is like holding deandre accountable when he makes little mistakes and i know media is going to be like oh look at this like harden feuding with his teammates but in reality like you need a leader like that you need these guys in the locker room during the game especially with a rookie coach like Steve Nash, these guys who are going to basically acknowledge the mistakes that are made and understand, okay, it's not to really stir a fight and stir the pot up, but to understand. Make us better. We, yeah, exactly. How are we going to grow from this, be better, and prevent that mistake from happening again? And Joe, I guess in the bigger picture, after seeing this road trip, obviously we have wins against the Clippers, the Lakers without Anthony Davis, against the Phoenix Suns. Uh, against the Warriors as well. Like, where's your confidence in this Nets team? Like, in your eyes, is it just, like, way higher than it was before the road trip? Obviously, they had some issues, but some of that was just, like, new team, new teammates, like you mentioned, building up the chemistry helps. But, like, where do they rank in your eyes? Are they now title favorites? Are they, you know, tier one team? Where do they stand for you? Um, I'd probably put... Definitely, they've been title favorites, I'd say, even with the struggling. I'd probably put them in that upper tier. I'd put them, the Lakers, and the Clippers, personally. As my How would you teams. rank all three? Ooh, that's tough. We're completely playing the pressure healthy on you right three. now. All three completely healthy. Um, I'd probably go Nets, Lakers, Clippers at the moment. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. I think the Nets have given, you know, myself a lot of confidence. I think offensively there never was going to be a question, but seeing the way that Kyrie Irving and James Harden have played off each other without Kevin Durant being there, we saw like some issues early on, which is expected with two, you know, ball dominant guys. But now you see cohesion. You see plays where Harden setting up Kyrie for that three again in the Clippers early in this game or hitting him down low for a layup. Like I think just the way they can play off each other and use each other. And it's funny. We talk about like the offense being so great. We have Kyrie Irving, we have James Harden and we have Kevin Durant. But also we have this elite shooter. And like you look at a lot of these other super teams, if you're able to throw in a guy who can shoot 50% from three, that could be the game breaker. You know what I mean? Think about how big Ray Allen was for the big three in Miami. Obviously, Golden State was a little different given they're all godly three-point shooters. But like I think just the way the Nets are developing as a unit and the role players are accepting their roles and you're seeing growth from the team defensively and the coaching staff, I just think all signs are trending up. And like you mentioned earlier, you know, it's it's pretty likely the team adds one or two more pieces before it's all said and done. I think you nailed every point on the head there. Part of it, I think you got to give credit to the coaching staff. Like yeah. even I know this is just kind of the tidal wave of the NBA and just sports in general. Uh, when a team's doing well, you credit the coaching staff when they're doing poor. It's so oh, why is Steve Nash not doing this? Why is he not making this timeout? But his timeouts have been very timely. Like in my head, I'll be like, okay, it's probably time to call a timeout soon. Yep. And now he's like, he has like a natural instinct of, okay, call the timeout. The momentum is switching in their favor. The rotation, maybe got to tweak that a little more, but it's not terrible. I mean, you did have the 
injury list today looked like the menu at the Cheesecake Factory. There's not much <laughs> we can do about that. Um, and then besides that, just like you said, understanding roles. Like even that post-game press conference where Kyrie told James Harden, hey, I'm the shooting guard, you're the point guard. Like now we know, I feel like when Harden came to Brooklyn, there was kind of this confusion of, oh, who's bringing the ball up? How is this going to work? Harden's ball dominant. Kyrie's kind of ball dominant. Durant needs the ball in his hands. And now, like, they're just starting to figure it out. They're yeah. starting to say, okay, like, Harden's saying, like, I don't need the ball in this possession. Like, go do your thing. Or, okay, like, I'll set this play up. And it's not really like a my turn, your turn thing. It's kind of like, a, okay, who's got the better matchup at the moment and who's going to get to work and just come up with the best shot opportunity? Yeah, and who has the feel in the game? You know what I mean? Like, sometimes Kyrie's going to be hot. You know, he's just hit his last three shots. You better give him that ball. Same thing for James Harden. You know what I mean? Just kind of playing off each other. You made a great point about Steve Nash. And I think even when Nash makes a mistake right now, it's not a big mistake. Like, early on, he would wait to call a timeout when the other team took the lead. Or, like, you know, the Nets are up 10. Then all of a sudden, the lead's cut to two. He's going to take the lead instead of being like, all right, you know what? Maybe I'm a possession or two late, but that's fine. It's better than being five possessions late. So he's definitely learning on the run. Amade Udoka, I felt like, was very active on the, in this game on the sideline. So just having that full coaching staff full of different guys who can have an impact on the game is huge. Just really positive signs for the Nets. Joe, anything else you want to talk about about this game specifically or the Nets in general? Um, yeah, so we talked about it a little bit earlier. I kind of touched base on it, but where do you see both Robertson, Claxton, and when he comes back, Iman Shumpert? Um, do you see any of them getting any bit of time in the rotation? And if you do, like how much time and what do you think their future is with the team? We'll go all three. You could give as brief or as detailed an answer as you want. Yeah, I think Robertson and Iman Shumpert are competing for the same spot. In the rotation. I think you only can have one of those guys. You know, a defensive-minded yeah. wing player that doesn't really have a jump shot, lacks offense, but can give you some of that high energy and hustle. I think I'm leaning towards Roberson, just given that I think he's a better defensive player. The, my bigger concern with him is his health. Like, is he healthy? Can he be that player? Can he be 90% of that player? Because at peak form, Roberson was probably a tier higher than Amon Shumpert as a defender. Shumpert was more of like that high energy level defender, but he's great for the three and D. Yeah. And like his three is kind of, you know what I mean? And he's a good, he used to be, he's got a, he's a good locker room guy, provides some good energy, obviously knows guys on the team. I think the highest potential would be Nick Claxton, just because he has a skill set that no one has in this team, but based off of Steve Nash's comments and saying he's more of a developmental player at this point, doesn't give you much confidence. He's going to be seeing a ton of minutes. It feels like he's going to have to earn those minutes almost kind of similar to what we saw with Bruce Brown early in the year where Bruce Brown wasn't getting minutes. He played a couple games and Steve Nash was like, yeah, I can't keep this guy off the floor because we need those type of minutes. I think that could be the same thing with Claxton gives you a really, really athletic, big, some switchability, some versatility. I mean, I'm very high on Claxton, but I could see why he wouldn't play just given he lacks NBA experience. I think Steve Nash said he's played 15 NBA games. Yeah. Now something to monitor going forward though, because with Perry in the G League, with Pell Cut, with Jeff Green, who knows yeah. his injury is, are they forced to throw Nick Claxton in? Or do you think they decide to go with Robertson and go small ball center? Like, there's got to be some answer at backup five. Or would DeAndre be backup five? But then who are you starting? 
Yeah, I think DeAndre is going to get the starting nod. I think you have to pull Reggie Perry out of the G League. I think you don't want to like put yourself in a position where you don't have any bigs. So I think Claxton, like you said, Joe, he might get he might be forced to play minutes unless Kevin Durant's back. You could probably play some three uh, some center minutes there. But I prefer to see Clax. I'd like to see Reggie Perry back. I wouldn't be completely surprised if we see Reggie Perry over the next few games instead of Nick Claxton, just because, like you mentioned, new system. Clax hasn't played in so long. Let's kind of work him back slowly, but it's going to be interesting. And you know, like you said, Joe, this the Jeff Green injury could force Steve Nash's hand. Exactly. And hopefully that injury list looks like the Clippers did today. The Clippers, yeah. minor flex, but they didn't have a single name on that injury list. Must be nice. <laughs> what do you think on the Roberson and Shumpert front, Joe? I pretty much agree with you in the sense that Roberson is the better defender of the two. So it kind of depends on what you want out of each of them. Mm-hmm. Roberson, I mean, he did have that one miracle playoff series in 2016 with his shot where it was fallen. But he's when we talk about not giving you offense, like Roberson's shot, he's not a 3 and D guy. He's just like a defense guy. So yeah. he'll probably shoot like 22, 25% from three if you leave him open. Shumpert... I wouldn't call him a three-point shooter. Definitely more capable than Roberson, though. Shumpert, in a bad year, or in a typical year, my bad, probably puts up upper 20s, maybe low 30s if you're getting decent production. Um, Neither one of them is going to shoot a high, high percentage from the field, generate a ton of offense. But at the same time, that's not really what you need from them, as you said. So with that being said, if Roberson can still guard the perimeter and he only played four minutes in that Laker game, but I was, like, enamored by him. Like, yeah. did you watch that garbage time four minutes? He was everywhere. He was, like, going behind the back with the ball, clamping down on one end. Granted, it's garbage time. You know, it's kind of like the Lakers' third-string team. Not to, like, diminish him. But I did like the energy he brought. And in yep. a way, if we can find, like, a form of Bruce Brown but in, like, a forward position, I think that would probably be Andre Robertson, if anyone on this roster. Yeah, I think he also provides a little bit more size than Shumpert. You know what I mean? The wingspan, the versatility to defend, which is why he's primarily there. Yeah, and I think Shumpert gives you a little bit more athleticism, a little bit more pop, maybe even some more high-energy type plays. But like you said, Roberson was impressive in that game. It's going to be interesting what happens with the injuries of TLC, Jeff Green. The Nets play again on Tuesday. I think they have a game again on Thursday, then Saturday against the Mavs, and then two next week. So it's going to be interesting how everything plays out, and we might get a taste of some different guys. Obviously, Tyler Johnson was out tonight. He's been a solid contributor for this team. Will he be back? So a couple questions there, but anything else, Joe? Um, that's, that's pretty much it for now. Yeah, I mean, and plenty of great stuff happened over this last week. Always check out all the podcasts on the Brooklyn Buzz on all streaming platforms, including otgbasketball.com, netsrepublic.com, and Blue Wire Pods. And always a pleasure, Joe, and big thanks, everybody, for listening. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. 
From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.